You're listening to the Yakima Chief Hops Podcast Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bigger Than Beer, a podcast dedicated to raising up the voices of women and the contributions of women in the hop and beer industry. Um, we're also exploring solutions for positive change in our discussions. Uh, thank you for joining for episode seven. We're going to be discussing agribusiness, which is something that I am personally very interested in and excited about um, due to my background in agriculture. And so I'm really looking forward to getting to learn more um, about the perspective and experiences of our guest of the podcast today, who's an inspiring leader in agribusiness agribusiness motivates others to reach higher, do better, and make a difference. So thank you for joining me to, to Bigger Than Beer. Welcome to the podcast, Liz Coleman, co-owner of Coleman Agriculture. Thanks for I joining me. <laughs> thank you for having me. Of course. Um, so I'll turn over to you to, to introduce yourself and let's talk a little bit, um, walk through your professional background leading up to your active roles at Coleman Ag. Okay, yeah. Um, well, I'm an Oregonian, um, and, and I did not grow up on a farm or within a farm family. Um, I grew up in a family of 10, a big Italian family, which are um, a combination or a combination of business and creative professionals. I earned my degree, in, a Bachelor of Arts degree in graphic design back in 1990, so it has nothing to do with agribusiness at all. Um, I immediately became my career as a designer in Portland, Oregon, uh, at an ad agency where I did a lot of corporate brand and identity work. And then from there, kind of the natural progression um, can oftentimes be up to art direction. Again, working in Portland at a different agency where I focused um, on communication and development of uh, television and print campaigns for clients. Uh, I did that work with uh, a team of creative directors and writers and we would brainstorm for hours you know like madmen um my, minus the smoking and drinking <laughs> since it was the 90s and not the the 60s but it's lots of fun um uh lots of fun i learned a lot doing that and then after a couple of years doing that i had a surprising call from nike uh who had just moved to was moving into and consolidating their their organizations into the, their world headquarters in beaverton oregon and the ask was to sort of leave leave the hands on creative um side of things and move over to the client side in in um, advertising and i jumped at the opportunity to work with a company of that size and doing the type of creative work that was going on and working with athletes and um uh, so I jumped jumped into that stream wholeheartedly, and it just was a tremendous experience that played a big role in my professional evolution. Um, in that job, I had the benefit of collaborating with so many different work streams, from marketing to sales teams, um, product design teams. I saw so much just early innovation and how it was applied directly to the marketplace. Um, and a huge asset that I would find later on when it came to farming was how far in advance we had to strategize and work ahead and, um, in the concepts and planning of what we were doing. So that, that one, 
uh, really swung back to me uh, fully as a, a huge value to to my um, experience level. So so that was lots of lots of lots of fun, and um, I left that company for a time rather. Uh, early in my career, unexpectedly, um, we had my husband, John, and I, who had met at Oregon State University, we had um, started a family pretty early on in our careers. And um, farming is not as conducive to um, part-time swapping kid care um, as it is maybe today, arguably today. So I chose the um, role of being the lead parent and while I did that, um, I worked a little bit part-time freelancing my way through, kind of doing, doing the hustle of uh, a small business and even a small, a few small farms here uh, where we live in St. Paul and around the area. So I did some freelance design and brand work um, here, kept me relevant, kept me sharpened why I, I focused on my full-time job as a parent. And, um, and it was then where I um, had a truly immersion into farming because up until then I had been leading you know this really nicely balanced town and country life I had the best of both worlds and uh and then when I was living living in a small farming community um it was definitely uh, a baptism into all that it um, can be as you know you come from a farm farm family farm community Tony Lynn and and so while it was uh, an interesting experience, you know, it had lots of good in it. It's, it's kind of a village type atmosphere. It's a great place to raise our kids. It also, what, what became very uh, clear to me from the business aspect is um, it, it was tough to, to break into and offer um, uh, outside you know, opinion and perspective, even as a co-owner. And, um, uh, and that would make sense too, if you didn't grow up in that, that environment, but that was just sort of a little bit of a, uh, interesting, um, observation that would swing around later in my life. So, um, when I say co-owner too, you know, I'll kind of, I, I think we're going to get to it later, but there, in many farm families, you know, family trees as they grow, um, oftentimes there'll be opportunities for descendants to create their own farms or uh, corporations or entities. And that's really what John and I had together. We had a small um, uh, farm that he had developed before we had met. And then we were kind of working in concert with, with other family members. So, so that's kind of where it was at that moment. We were sharing a lot of resources at that time where but he helped to grow his family farm as a contributor. So um, I, I embraced that life as a part-time professional. And, um, and so as, as, as life would have it, you know, kids got a little bit older and uh, I got another phone call from, from the company that I had left, um, a, you know, several years prior to that. And it was a woman who we had known, um, uh, a colleague together and she was um, looking for some help in a relatively new organization within the business that um, was called Workspace Design and Connectivity. And that organization's function uh, was primarily focused on integrating 
how a corporation that had grown so large could uh, function on the brand aspect by um, folding in the brand in every environmental way that it possibly could in order to maintain the essence and spirit of the brand, primarily for its employees, but also for its visitors and the athletes. And, and um, so in it was in that role that I took and stayed there for another five years um, that the biggest impression it made on me was it, so much of it was about heritage and history of a brand and the storytelling. And I'd come to find out, you know, there were so many aspects of that work that would come to serve me well in future years. And out of those, you know, were things like the creation of strategy involving very complex scenarios and personalities. There was um, innovative problem solving around uh, incredibly um, high budgeted areas and complex um, challenges. There was uh it was all about creating synchronicity with complex timelines and huge orchestra of work streams. I learned how to integrate the brand with diversity and different cultures and geographies. And um, overall, it was incredibly stimulating work, even though it was very fatiguing. It was it just had sharpened me, and I was I was very interested in all the complexities and being able to to spin so many plates at once. And so. Um, I, like I said, I stayed with that until 2016, until at that point, you know, things began to, to shift at the ranch a little bit. And we had a farming business that John and I had started with two other couples in the family, um, which is what many people know as Coleman Agriculture today. We had started out in 2014, but uh, by 2016, things were shaking, uh, excuse me, by by 2014, things were beginning to shift a little bit in that creation. And so I had wrapped up my contract at Nike and, and decided to dedicate my time to help resolve what was happening at this startup that we had created. Wow, that is an extensive uh, background and experience. And it pulls from like a lot of different um, fields and strengths and, you know, you know, brings part of your personality into it, too, when I hear all those creative backgrounds that you have. Um, and then hearing how all that kind of has worked into your now career that you have at Coleman Agriculture. It's really great to, to walk through that so that we're all aware of, of what kind of robust background and experience you have in those different fields. So based, based on your background, you know, you have experience in a lot of different industries and fields, and you have a lot of different passion projects as well outside of hops and agriculture. How have you carried all of these experiences from, from your work at Nike and your creative roles to Coleman Ag? Mm. Um, well, I would have to say as a creative at heart, you know, just hardwired, I think at heart, I appreciate having an imaginative mind as a business person, because as many of us know, imagination brings forward innovation and in any industry, as we try to solve problems with everyone thinking the same way, we just end up with the same outcome. So coming to the table with an imaginative mind. Um, and I also think that in ignorance is bliss. I don't think you need to know the everything, the in and outs of a business necessarily. If you have a, a solid um, 
I'll just say strategic, you know, you're strategic minded and you're just leaving your mind wide open to possibilities and hearing and being curious. And so that's the approach I, I took with me to Coleman when, when uh, I started to work full, full on with the company and, and I'll just back up a, mo- a moment for context um, because I think a lot of this will make more sense if I just sort of paint the picture a little bit. The, the Coleman family has been farming for six generations in the Willamette Valley. And, um, and over time, as I mentioned before, family trees um, in a farming family, in any family business, you know, it could just grow. And as, um, as the family grew, I think it was upward towards like 17, six, between 16 and 18 different farming entities had been created by 2014. And so by the early 2000s, this, there was just like this massive um, constellation of these intertwined entities that were sharing resources. And, and honestly, it was just growing, it had grown out of control. So that was the impetus of, um, of this formation of colon agriculture. And it, it was during a low point after decades of operating this way, where things were just beginning to um, unwind. Dynamics were, were challenging. Uh, employees were, were confused often and, and it just was such a complex situation. And so we had the benefit of having um, a very skilled business advisor whose background was in banking and, uh, and he had come and, and sat us down and he himself had come from a, a family agricultural business uh, before getting into banking and had come back and had dealt with this in his own own situation and he had helped us sort of pare down the number of um interested parties in the family that would like to go forward in the same direction um and when i say pare down voluntarily pare down to say like hey this is what we have in mind essentially created a farming collective where we would operate under one roof under a brick and mortar and consolidate um, our resources in a much more efficient way and hire outside leadership and begin to professionalize the business uh, in a way you know from just from everything besides you know sharing resources to creating processes and procedures and agreements and um, so that's that's what we started it with in 2014. And I had become a board member at that time. Uh, I was an inactive partner because I, of my career, the work I was currently doing. And so um, the, the consolation, that, that the whole consolidation uh, concept was great. And when it was put together, you know, we had a couple of farm managers that were family members who were co-owners at the time. and. Um, it, everyone, I believe, did the best they could, but I also think it was a perfect storm. I think it was outside leadership that was entering a position that was didn't have complete autonomy. Um, it was um, it were you know family members working together always create. Um, uh, <laughs> you're, you're nodding. Yeah, always create interesting dynamics. Um, no one, you know, everyone needed a fair shake, right? No one had gone to school or was formally, you know, um, uh, trained into how to work with your family. And so uh, things that were snowballing for all these decades and generations 
Um, they didn't just go away because we formed a collective. Uh, it, it simplified things and it made things a lot easier to look at, but it essentially became a perfect storm um, in many ways because of our foundational work that just got left out. And so, so by two years into that, we started to see uh, fractures in, in place. And um, so, so getting back to your question, now that I've kind of laid that context out, in 2016, when I came aboard full-time, I could see that the challenges that were holding the company back um, were very, very critical. And um, just from past experience I've had before I got to Coleman and what that would mean for organizations, they were lacking foundational um, strength. And so I also knew that the that the problems were just too complex to handle internally with the leadership we had. And so that's where I started. And we needed arm's length points of view. We needed a level of expertise from third party. So um, essentially it was reform work and it was very, very hard. Um, I, I, uh, my first big lift was to bring in outside organizational development um, through professional that helped to sort of mitigate the workplace dysfunction and tension. And, um, and honestly, it had management a state of paralysis. So we needed to just get out of the ditch and get back onto the road. And, and then the, while that work was in motion, I went to work participating in a series of strategic measures with other third party experts to assist the company um, where we had deficits or lack of vent strength. And these were the types of things that were, um, you know, I'll just kind of like go top line. We can definitely go back to these, but like hop quality, excellence and efficiencies were a little shaky for us. We were beginning to get feedback from our brokers and suppliers. Um, we have four operating farms at that time and, um, and they were doing well on a spectrum, but they weren't, um, we were lacking consistency and we weren't knowing why exactly. Um, we had um, another, another big one important to me was fair and competitive compensation, which was a big issue. And I encountered that one firsthand at the company, um, which was interesting because I co-owned this company. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so I lobbied to get, and I had to get buy-in to launch a first time market comp study that also allowed us to recruit and retain the strong talent that we needed. Um, and also to ensure that we had the right people in the right roles. So it was a whole org review. That was a big lift and and um, and it paid off. It, it paid off in recruiting our number two president, quite frankly. And, and there were other things I used in my previous work, like, um, oh, I had to get my arms around it for a while. I served as an interim um, GM while we were looking for our number two leader. And so it was like this crash course, you know, just trying to figure out what I was doing and you're kind of moving it through innately and rolling up all your past work experience and like the whole, it's like driving a speeding car with like a, a blindfold on, but you're just doing the best you can. And and I, I did that. Um, I managed all of administrative operations where I had a sister-in-law overlooking the um, financial aspect because that was definitely not my forte, trying to get our finances um, securely um, just within. Um, more, definitely, we needed more organization around them so we could just get forward. So there was a lot that we were doing 
in a neck breaking speed of time. Um, together, we had three of the family members um, that were running the farm operations at that time. And so um, we had the, the sixth um, uh, co-owner who was um, uh, running around uh, managing human resources. And so we were just all over the place. But, but what I needed to do in this role was build this like mega dashboard which was so gratifying and it kind of, I haven't ever been one to geek out on like a Gantt chart, but it, it, I used it in my previous work, but essentially it was mission control for every single function that we had going around all farms. And so I felt like if we could see everything together from every single crop, because we grow more than, more than hops, um, everything from finance to labor, to accounting, to all the planning for every function. And I put it on a year long calendar and showed where we had overlaps and showed where we, our pain points were that we could understand and start to break down and get a snapshot of our business and um, be better prepared for our number two president. So that, and, and, and we didn't have a strategic business plan um, at all. We never had a strategic business plan. So that helped me get ready for building a strategic plan um, framework by just knowing what we had and where it stood. So, so, so those were just some of the, like the things that I brought in and, and then uh, that helped, you know, my previous experience definitely helped me with and, and, um, and I felt like I could apply a lot of my creativity to it while I was doing it. Like I say, ignorance was bliss. It's like, I don't, I don't know farming. I mean, I have a garden. I do. I do not know farming, <laughs> and I do not claim to be an expert farmer. But um, I knew how to manage an organization, and I knew um, enough through osmosis in farming that, um, and I knew the language that um, I knew. I, I just felt confident that we could sail the ship. So um, the other, you know, as as time progressed and things evolved, my uh, I was able to apply um, other career experiences to the really fun stuff that that uh, might be just a little bit, you know, more outward presenting. And, you know, first the farm just didn't have a brand, which was killing me. <laughs> From a marketing <laughs> perspective, was, you're like, I've got to have oh, a brand. It's like, can we, you know, it was one of those things like as a board member, I'm like, we should have a brand. And then, you know, I get you know, pushback, like we don't, we're a commodity, you know, commodities don't need to be branded. I'm like, yeah, but I mean, there's just so much opportunity here and, you know, just couldn't see eye to eye with leadership or ownership, like why we needed it. And it, and honestly, the company, you know, the farm is doing well, making money. And I had this other work life and I'm like, God, you know, why am I going to bat on this thing? And over and over again, until people were tired of me talking about it, but you know, it's, it's like having a baby and not naming it, you know, and, and, or it's like, it's like having, having, a, 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 yeah, and maybe not even just not naming it, but it's also, uh, you know, not letting it have a personality and, right. and not letting it shine and not letting it be introduced to anybody. And it's just like, oh, this is just torture. So when the company was ready for it, um, and that was like 2017, maybe somewhere in there early, I don't know, a year, a year, maybe after I was fully involved, um, just put the toe in the water. Like, how about, you know, social media, quote unquote, like, how about that? Does that feel comfortable? Like, no, no, like, what do we need that for? And so 
somehow I got my way on that one and <laughs> carved a little tiny budget and, and hired this little PR agency to just, I would send them photos and then they pose because I, I, I wasn't a social media person. I didn't even have my own stuff. And so, uh, my own channels. And so, um, that's how that started. And then, and then fast forward a couple years, you know, we got our, our, our number two leader, uh, David Henze. He's great. And he came from, uh, the avocado industry and he, he could completely appreciate the value. He's also background in marketing and he could completely appreciate the value of, of, uh, of brand, well, of marketing, but brand, you know, we kind of would go a little bit in a friendly way, you know, toe to toe on it. Like, do you really need it? And where will it give us? And, and he did a really good job of helping me not just prove, but to educate what brand is to a company that it just was so foreign to. And so I brought in an expert and helped hold like a, a, a mini, you know, an offsite essentially to help understand the value of brand and then, and then got to it. I, I had a pretty clear vision of what that needed to look like, what I wanted it to look like and what honestly, what it already was becoming, but to be able to polish it and pull out the essence of, of the people and, and heritage um, uh, and elements of, of what we were doing and put a sharp point on it. And um, so that was a very gratifying moment. We were able to kind of move that dial in, in a big way, move the needle, I should say, in a big way. And, and uh, I, I gained an intern, you know, she, well, she was my daughter. She was in college and, and in communications. And I said, would you like to, would you like to have a, a summer job? Uh, you have to interview with our president, but would you like to have a summer job in building brand content? So she did that and she handed it off to another intern uh, who ended up being our, when she went back to school and she ended up being, that young woman ended up being our um, first brand marketing project manager and did a great job. And, um, and, and I'm happy to say that the, the, the brand, you know, five years later, I don't think anyone, hope anyone would disagree that the brand is one of the company's most valuable assets. And, and, uh, it has allowed us to really reach and, um, create, uh, relationships with, with so many important people in the industry, um, and communicate with them. And, and so, um, uh, it's been handed off to an agency that can take it far, you know, much farther than, than uh i could you know and um and also just grow it in a way and our, our young project manager go, went to go work for them as a matter of fact so she can still bat for our team but stretch <laughs> herself too so we're really happy for her but um and then you know lastly i'll say that that that, that previous career uh work really helped me in identifying identifying um i'll say you know creative concepts like this little thing called hot terroir and uh and regionalism and regional identity and um you know in 2018 uh when the the thought came to mind after our team our hop team john my husband would oftentimes set up um we have uh, uh friends uh and uh business acquaintances that are in the wine industry just across the river here in the willamette Valley there in there in Yonhill County actually Yonhill County, and um, and they uh, uh, we oftentimes would um, swap intern field trips uh, to learn about the related business. And um, while I was sitting there in this winery, 
listening to the stories of the soils, I was, I found myself wondering what our stories were, where our scientific, you know, data was. And when we got back to the office, I asked John about that. And he said, we really don't, we don't really have that. And if, if we, if we did, you know, if anyone's going to know anything about that, it's going to be, um, Dr. Tom Shellhammer at Oregon State University, give him a call. And I was super intimidated because <laughs> I'm not a, a science person. And when we, uh, by the time we wrapped up the call, we had agreed that we would, we would get going on a uh, presentation to our board to dedicate some, some private dollars to, or some dollars to some private research rather, um, to help understand if we could, if we could prove that there's something to go on for regional um, distinction on our own farms. And so it, you know, it has taken off and we were able to prove enough um, on our theory. And we we were really careful to be fully transparent and communicative with our other growing um, part or, you know, community members in the hop industry. There's just not that many of us that this, this would, be a very, very, very good thing for all growers in all over the globe is where I was seeing it. But baby steps and asking, you know, hey, if we did this for Oregon, it could put us back on the map. And then, you know, let's get that in the Pacific Northwest. And um, and little by little, the fear has gone away about what that could do to the corporate model that we've kind of had been set up with the, the big corporate brewers and we're, and, you know, honestly, I feel like it was a silver platter move for the craft brewing industry to help them individuate and tell stories. And, and now Oregon State, um, I'm still connected to that work, um, uh, volu- you know, you know, just as an um, vo- alumni and volunteer, um, how this research is public now. And it's, it's, uh, now it's kind of in a, a grant application process to encapsulate the Pacific Northwest, you know, Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. So, so that's a very gratifying set, I guess, of systems, programs, I guess, that, that really came out of um, previous work experience. Yeah, that's, there's so much that went into that. I mean, you're talking about building up the foundation of the company, kind of starting fresh, starting over, which it sounds like, you know, when you have six generations, family, family relations, which is always very challenging in any, any business to have in. Um, and then you kind of have to break those down and then start and build up can almost be more challenging. I'm assuming than just starting completely fresh. Um, so, and, and I just want to clarify, did you do all of that work, that foundation that you were talking about of, um, you know, creating a mega dashboard, creating like hiring outside consultants to come in? Was that all in a year's time? Yes. That's crazy. <laughs> That's so <laughs> great. Like in I, the most think... impressive way, that is yeah. just so I, I much mean, work. It, That's so much uh, work I, that goes into that. I I will say, you know, and I'm, because this is a, a podcast, you know, focused, you know, the mission is to focus, to put the, put the spotlight on where women are today in the industry. I, I want to be very clear, you know, um, I want to do two things. Like one thing women do is like, oh, but I didn't do it alone. I had all this help. And, you know, definitely there's aspects of that true, uh, that are very, very true. I mean, it, it, it was, um, I was a, I was a woman on a mission 
um, not to prove anything, but because I had sat on the sort of um, like an observer in because I was doing other work, you know, I would I would hear about the frustrations that the family was having in all forms, you know, and um, you know, you're kind. It's like if you're married to an attorney or uh, you know. Uh, somebody else in another field, like every industry has their stuff. And, but the difference I think in a family business is there's so much more at stake because it seeps into your everyday. And um, when I realized the impact of how, what a critical situation we were in, there was no going backwards after we had consolidated. It was a, such a state of, um, I don't, I don't like to overuse this word because it sounds, you know, negative, but it was dysfunction. It wasn't functioning well the way it had been. It had grown and snowballed. So by the time we got to 2014, you know, it made sense like, ah, yeah, consolidate, you know, reserve, um, let's be efficient. Um, and and when the when the fractures were happening in 2016, I and I every single I know every single owner was feeling the crisis that we were in. So I was a woman on a mission, um, again, not to prove, but to to fly that plane out of there. And um, I, I didn't do it alone, definitely. Um, but I feel confident and okay about saying I, I played the leading role. It was not a popular role. I'm okay with saying, um, because as I learned from from a couple of advisors, there's evolutionary change and there's revolutionary change. <laughs> I remember, like probably my lowest point of fatigue, and um, I thought, okay, revolutionary change that usually involves like. <laughs> you know, casualties. Yeah. <laughs> I'm picturing the other hand comment and I'm like, I am feeling that. Yeah. And yet yeah. I think when you're in a state of crisis, you know, you, you go to fight or flight or is there one? Freeze. I think there's one freeze. more. Freeze. Fight, yeah. Fight, yeah. Freeze. yeah. Yeah. And I, I just am grateful that I didn't freeze. I didn't want to fight. Um, it wasn't going to help, but I wasn't afraid to, to go there to get us through. And I think only possible to do if you're not, if you haven't grown up in that dynamic. Right. You just, you can't have that perspective. And so, so, um, uh, so I hope that helps somewhere to like listeners to say like, okay, and neck breaking speed because no one wants to be in pain for a long time. Yeah. You gotta just <laughs> get I, it done. I had I had one uh, we had one uh, advisor that ended up joining the team as an HR person because we didn't have any we didn't have any top line leaders like we didn't have an HR director at the time. Uh, we had a, I think a controller, but we really needed a financial you know high level financial manager. Um, we um, we needed a higher level president, uh, and so. Uh, I'm run, I'm directing, like, I know what we need. Uh, I just need someone to help me get there. And so she said, do you realize she sat my, sat my sister-in-law and I down one day, one day when I, I 
I think she, I think people were questioning my sanity. And she said, do you realize that you have done more in seven months time than most startups do in two years? Yeah. And, and I, it sounds I felt like, yeah. Yeah. I, I, and you know, but again, when you're in a crisis mode, you can move mountains. And so that's where we were. Yeah. Uh, wow. I mean, that was really interesting to learn about where hearing about that mode and then looking at where Coleman Ag is today. Um, we know this, you know, I know I'm, I'm newer to the industry, but one of the greatest strengths that people talk about with Coleman Ag is that they mention, you know, they're very marketing focused. They have a strong brand. So you bring all those things, those heritage, that story, which is so important in the farming background, because it's one of this industry's greatest strengths is there's great stories to tell. There's great heritage. Um, so that's really interesting to hear about the terroir project. I've definitely heard about that. Um, so all these things that you're talking about are things that people know Coleman Ag for. Um, so that's, that's really cool to, to hear about the story behind it and how the work, the intense work it got, you know, it took to get to this point today. Um, so looking back at all that, you know, um, can you touch a little bit on, you know, your, your role today and what that kind of looks like as that was the beginning? Um, where does it look like today there at Coleman Agriculture? Uh, you know, thank goodness for advisors. Like, thank goodness, like, the world has advisors with lots of wisdom to share in and over and we've, and we've had a lot of them. I mean, I think that Either we, we burn them out or, we, or they could just take us to a certain level and then we needed a new one. But over and over again, the message was it is it's next to impossible to work on the business if you're working in the business. And I I will carry that flag high and um, and that's hard to do. I mean, that's really hard to do, especially if you're passionate about the work you're doing and you're um, and you care um, and you just want to get in there. Maybe that's your happy place. Um, but uh, I know, especially when I handed off brand to the Revelry Group, which is our our, our business to business marketing agency that um, is kind enough to work with us, and um, and so that's where I am. I dedicate my time now 100% to ownership work. Um, there's a lot of it, um, and uh, there's a constellation that that Coleman has where. Um, if the goal is to give our leader um, uh, autonomy to do his or her best work, um, then the family needs to focus on things that only the family, or in this, you know, in a family business, the family the owners can focus on, uh, and uh, the board should be able to govern, you know, and and take watch and guide. And so my work is as a board member and as an owner, which is quite enough. And that's how, that's where I am now with it and shaping it and helping to make decisions, uh, kind of continuing on that same path, you know, creating evolutionary slash revolutionary <laughs> and, and, and um, yeah, that's where I am right now. Oh, fantastic. Thanks for, thank you for walking through that. Um, Liz, I'm just going to move forward actually, um, to talking about the transformation of, of Coleman a little bit. Um, so I, I know you've played a major part in Coleman's transformation as we just walked through, um, from a traditional family farm to a modern day farming business. A lot of people romanticize the idea of, of old fashioned multi-generation, 
uh, family farms. And why do, why do you feel it's important for hop farms or, or ag businesses in general to transition to a more innovative and contemporary mindset? So kind of, uh, can you just talk about like, what are some of the initiatives that you feel are crucial to making a successful transition to, to the 21st century? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, and I feel really, um, this, I think this is my sweet spot just because of the, you know, conversation we had earlier about those seven months, you know, taught me so, um, so, so much. Um, you know, I, I, I see old issues, repeat issues that hold multi-generational family farms back and, uh, uh, not just at Coleman, any family business, especially any family farm. And you see it, you see it, you know, for the terroir project, we traveled around state to state. We have the lovely opportunity to talk to lots of, um, you know, different generations in each family farm. And it's, it's interesting. You get to, a. a a family farm and you talk to maybe the the wealth creators or the founders or you know the oldest generation working and and then you would talk to it the next generation down and and you'd sort of <laughs> it's this knowing smile you know the things that they weren't saying very politely and and i i i think if if businesses don't get a handle on succession and professionalism um it it's not just going to hugely add to the snowball effect we're having to family farms i I believe it's going to affect the supply chain in the in the craft brewing industry and so we'll you know first um data tells us something it's something like there's 90 hop farms within the pacific northwest oregon less than 90 i think is what it is now within um idaho washington um and oregon and the average age um of the hop farmer is hedging upward towards 60 and he's a white guy and he's likely inherited uh, that farm from his dad and if he has any sisters they likely moved on to other lives because traditionally family farms haven't been handed you know handed or offered to the daughters and um and that's an average of more than 50 percent of potential talent of successors that's being passed over. So um, as family part, you know, if we stay on this pattern, family farms will disappear, especially in hop farming. And with the, you know, starting out with just less than 90. And, and if we don't, you know, I'll say right now to bring a level of professionalism, this, this culture of um, a contemporary business, you know, it's for farms, it starts with the parents, I'm, I was very surprised if not just like, you know, traditions go and unless someone questions that people in their traditions, even if it's not working out very well for them, they just maybe don't, it's a tradition. So you don't, you don't bucket much, you know, but uh, I was surprised at how many women don't, mothers don't question that even in my generation. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think parents need to make necessary progressive changes to generate just the very interest of the next generation of their daughters and sons at the succession level as a way to keep farms going. Um, second thing I was thinking about is, um, you know, farming's intensive work. 
It is, and um, it's spring through fall, half the year, and the best time of the year here in the Pacific Northwest too. And we're such an active state and and uh, a green state, and and traditionally, you know, work life balance and farming, you know, those two <laughs> don't, don't mix. <laughs> they don't go hand in hand. But I, you know, again, innovative thinking and and tradition. It, it doesn't, it can be hard work and not be life consuming. I do believe that. I've seen that. And um, as an occupation, here's the, you know, hard facts. Like farming is known to be prone to mental illness and is rated as one of the highest um, forms of um, uh, occupations to have suicide rates. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the isolation and the lack of resources um, and availability being overworked and and um, the farming culture I know needs to change and and a broadened mindset needs to come in if we wanna raise the bar for um, entry for as an occupation to the next generation for, for anybody, not just people in that as descendants, but for anybody to wanna enter it. Um, and a couple of other thoughts I had is, you know, as an innovative and contemporary mindset starts um, is with building the right leadership team and you know, to be very blunt, but not cruel about it. Not all farmers make good business people. And they're good farmers, um, you know, it's, yeah. they're good at, at farming and oh, yeah. it can and, be challenging and, when you're, you're bringing in these other elements and saying, and you also have to do this. And it's like, that's yeah. not my strength. <laughs> I'm good at it, with the land. I'm good with the, this horticulture practice. Yes. Uh, so it creates all kinds of ca- challenges it, when it, you're wearing those two hats. Yeah. It's absolutely, it's kind of like asking uh, a surgeon to also run the hospital, right. you know, it's just, you can't do both. And it doesn't mean you're a, a person's ill-equipped, uh, but that's, that's a hard um, concept, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, and again, I think that has to do with siloing and tradition and, and um, I, I know that has to, that's what it has to do with it. And if it ain't broke, you know, but things are, are breaking and, and, and we're just not able to, progress this industry in ways that it needs to quickly enough. And so um, I would encourage, you know, that takes humility and bravery to be able to step back and acknowledge that. And, um, and I believe it's outside leadership and management, skilled management with experience. It's essential for the success of a business, especially if you've got family members involved in the operation that can blur the lines. Um, right. Of professionalism and and then um you know fourth in in family farming you know any family business entitlement is a big problem mm-hmm. and so you know as i was mentioning before as i traveled around you just you sort of see these um struggles that entitlement can cause and and um what i see is parents who've created jobs for their maybe inexperienced young adults because they're fearful of if they encourage their kids to go elsewhere and broaden their wings, will they come back? And so maybe positions are created for family members um, when really they needed to get out and be managed by somebody else and then bring back great ideas and to a farm that is ready to accept them as a, you know, a contemporary business. Right. I mean, it just starts like a whole new culture. And so that, that needs to change. That's a huge opportunity for families to, to let down the fear, you know, uh, and, uh, and, and, and bring that to the next level of business in the 21st century, um, 
Definitely. I mean, we have to find ways to be able to sustain the businesses. And if we don't, you know, the fear is for corporations, you know, those family farms to be sold off to corporations. And then you just, maybe the supply might be there, but it, it definitely will disrupt the industry as we know it. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, you, you touched so many excellent points, um, in, in that where, you know, there is this huge risk that if we don't find a way of, of finding a different avenue of carrying on these family farms and how we're going to innovate to make sure that they survive to the next generation by generation, it doesn't necessarily mean like family. It means like this next chapter in, in this, um, in this family farms history book. Um, so how do you, how do you make sure that you're able to look down 50 years down the line and know that it's still going to be there? Um, and I also just wanted to highlight, I'm really appreciative of the fact that you, you brought up the mental health crisis in the farming community, which is a huge problem. I, I don't know if a lot of people are aware of it outside of it, but it, the, the suicide rate is astronomical. And I think it has to do with, you know, this is my, my personal projection, but like has to do with also that when you're in a crisis mode of all the weight of your family's traditions are on you and there's no way out. You don't see, have anyone else, but it's lying on your shoulders. That's an intense amount of pressure. So if you fail, you know, just to provide some context for um, those who might not be in this, this rural background, that's what it can feel like for a lot of farmers who um, their whole family's history is riding on their shoulders and there's no one else. There's no checks and balances of you know, you talked about outside leadership, having those consultants or um, having leadership come in. That's where we run into all kinds of issues. And I think you touch on excellent points of how we can make this industry or these family farms sustainable into the future by adopting these outside practices. Absolutely. You know, it's not a new, it's not a, a, a new concept or theory. Mm-hmm. And um, farms are businesses mm-hmm. and uh, there's business professionals and experts. And, uh, and like I said, it, it can take, you know, humility and courage to, to think that somebody might know a better way of doing it. But, um, uh, if you look at what's at stake, if you don't, um, it's a pretty easy decision to make. And, and I left one off too, it's creating a board, um, that, that cannot be purely made up of family members <laughs> because you just can't get arm's length, you know, and that's just Thanksgiving and, dinner. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. And so um, having enough professional expertise at the table that represents every function of what your business goals are, um, it gives it gives the leader of the company air cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, it adds um, horsepower mm-hmm. to the thinking. Um, and uh, uh, we have a lot to learn from other businesses that will enhance farming um, that can be brought forward in a, a board setting. Fantastic. Thank you, Liz. Mm-hmm. How, so on that no- note, how do you feel family farming businesses can create a balance between embracing their rich history and adopting more progressive practices? I was, you know, uh, this one is interesting. It's a good question. And I think, I think every business has a story to tell. Um, especially like, you know, there's something kind of magical about like farming. I was listening to a couple of other uh, podcast interviews that you had done on the series and 
that, you know, people get a little bit like, oh, so the voice changes. And my favorite part about the job is like working with the farmers. <laughs> and it's, it's, they're good stories out there because I think as people, we do romanticize that and we want it just to, we want a simpler life. You know, mm-hmm. we think that farming is minus politics and difficulties. We're, we're close to the work as we can ever be. Um, so I think, I think, I think it's essential that um, uh, we tell the stories um, and keep the essence of the identity and the brand alive. I will have a caveat to that though. Um, you know, to do that with a full cast of characters represented. Mm-hmm. I, I have this like sort of um, she-oriented campaign when I had, we had my first, uh, we had our first project manager working with me and and um as you know marketing can be a behind the scenes job i mean you're and uh which is fine and good but i there was something there was some work that she was doing and i i was i couldn't quite put a finger like why why i was struggling with um how the organization was seeing that and i i started this sort of like informal campaign of no hidden figures Mm. there can't be any hidden figures in any organization because it's a team sport and we need to uh oftentimes pull people's work forward in doing doing this and so i said you know let's take a look at the history here and see where we're coming from and as i'm speaking you know we've been telling the history um as we had heard it handed down you know it's a patriarchal led industry and i was uh in this patriarchal you know led farm colon is and we are missing key characters and i was finding it was happening in this this generation and so i i say you know to to keep a balance of embracing rich history and adopting progressive practices it's being able to tell the stories that keep the history alive but backing up and pulling forward pieces of the history that are missing mm-hmm. and um you know i often hear these stories about family farms and you know it's about the farmer who works who you know does an amazing job and incredible job and i keep thinking you know it's this guy and did you know did he do that alone and who else was there and who was who was his then ops director and financial manager and what was her name and why don't we hear about about that and i think in in time and history that we just have gotten used to talking about this one person and and um that that needs to change in my opinion that's a way to further you know to to create professional and and progressive practices in the storytelling that we do that point uh brings up another question that i was wanting to ask you today um and talk a little bit about you know women have traditionally been assigned more administrative duties on family hop farms. Uh, it's very common to hear, you know, he farms, I run the books. Um, you hear that all the time. Um, and I know from my own family farm experience that these roles at any level, administrative or however they are, are crucial to daily farming operations. But uh, tip, typically, uh, these women remain in the background, as you just mentioned. So wh- what are your your views or thoughts on, um, on, on this and what have been some of your observations over the years? I think that, you know, I think in any business, there's going to be behind the scenes people and that's okay if that's where, what's comfortable for them. 
when it comes down to women um, having traditional roles in family farm businesses, um, I think that's that's really tough because um, first it's the um, you know, because I still see women, you know, accepting those roles. And I see, I see women doing full-time work where they're quote unquote helping out, um, which is what I, I ran into. That was, that, that was a jaw dropping moment for me to hear that in this generation. Mm -hmm. And so part of it is helping women understand their value and it may have to be pointed out from other women mm -hmm. that that there should not be any volunteer job unless that's what you choose to do. And I would encourage that it would be for a nonprofit, not business. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, and uh, and if it's behind the scenes, um, is that by choice or um, ha has has that position be been forced to be behind the scenes? But I. I, it's a point of examination for women in this industry to do and to feel okay about doing that. And if it doesn't feel like it fits, um, make some revolutionary change. There you go. You heard it there. So I, I want to expand on your leadership role uh, within within Coleman Agonet's significance to help provide some context to those that you know might not be aware of the cultural dynamics of the hop industry. So as a co-owner with multiple agribusinesses, have you experienced any resistance from others just because you're a woman in a leadership role? Mm -hmm. Yes, I, yes, definitely. And, um, you know, I'm thinking about this. I think, you know, first, women aren't largely represented in, in farming. I mean, it's gaining speed. I think it's good in leadership roles. It's hard to find other women in leadership roles. Um, there's resistance to that. There's speculation about that. Um, I did encounter that both uh, internally and I hate to say, and externally. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, uh, but, you know, I think I will say as an industry, once you just uh, are very clear about what you're there to do, um, I don't know, at least in my experience, it becomes a non-issue. But um, I, I, you know, funny stories. I remember, I remember in that that interim role I was speaking of earlier, and I, I remember <laughs> having, you know, our banker um, uh, showing up, uh, and we're chatting around, and he's and he's and he's asking for one of the guys, quote unquote, to discuss the business of a meeting that I'd set up with him, <laughs> and you know, and then you know, you say, okay, it's an educational moment. We'll just kind of, we'll just kind of. Um, uh, bring him up to speed and and even still and this is you know and looking for the guys and 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 then i you know i just thought wow there's just a lot of work to do for this industry to just really get their minds wrapped around what that looks like and mm -hmm. yeah i think that's what it comes down to they just don't you know folks don't know what that looks like because it's not routine mm -hmm. and so it'll be nice when it's just more routine uh, so that touches on like you know challenging that misperception um so did you in that specific example you made you kind of instead of kind of letting it happen did you make that known and how'd you go about that if you don't mind me asking yeah no i mean 
I think it's because I grew up in such a big family and there was, was like practically the Brady Bunch plus two more. I mean, it's four <laughs> boys and four girls. And yeah, at some point it becomes the survival of the fittest for the day to day. And I think, you know, with my parents, I was very fortunate too. We all were to have parents that um, they did their best, especially, I mean, I'm the seventh one down. So my, my folks were married like in the forties, you know, for that time, they did a really nice job about creating this fair and supportive family culture. And it's, you know, all that energy. And um, I don't, I don't know any other way to challenge its perceptions um, than by, you know, we were, you know, first seek to understand, you know, and, and then speaking just super openly and directly. Um, I, I, I don't waste a lot of time sugarcoating things. I'm I'm really open and direct. I don't I don't mind putting uncomfortable topics on the table to talk about. Um, maybe to a point, you know, where um, uh, well, I guess when it's just uncomfortable, it's uncomfortable. We just don't grow any other way. We can't have conversations any other way about hard stuff. So I seek I seek that out to get you know so things don't grow. Um, but education goes a long way too, you know, and, and I, I, I think if we assume positive intent first and, and then I always ask, I like to ask this, like misperceptions, like, wow, was that misperception? You know? Um, so let's first uncover that. And then, and then if it's kind of a reoffending, I always like to ask like, Oh, is this, um, is this because maybe you're unwilling or incapable? Hmm. Because if you're, Let's get that one out there. If you're if you're incapable, we can we can work to resolve. You know, we can. Um, but if you're unwilling, that's that's a harder one. And those are the conversations I don't waste a lot of time on. Right. Kind of you do assess the situation and kind of figure out and go from there. It's really mm-hmm. interesting to hear that tactic, and it can be hard to, you know, when when you're challenged like that to kind of stand up for yourself sometimes. Um, but having a process sounds like, you know, it's kind of like a process to go through of assessing the situation. And when you have that process kind of ready to go in your head, then it makes it a whole lot easier when you encounter it than if you're caught off guard and have no idea what to do next. So I yes. And I will, I will be the first to say, I don't think I've gotten that right every single time. <laughs> <I've had. laughs> I think I had to learn that on the fly. <laughs> It, it, several times over. <laughs> it's, Some uh, people might call me passionate. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that's, that's great. Uh, do you feel like the resistance to women in leadership has lessened or, or changed over the course? You know, of your experience in the hop industry. Have you? Are there any specific changes that you've observed? I've seen some. I've seen some wonderful moments. I mean. Um, and we have like 75 full-time employees and it, it jumps to over double of that during um, high season. Um, I enjoy so much. We have, we, we get a lot, we have a very nice internship uh, program. Um, and um, uh, I love seeing uh, young men and women uh, apply for those internship programs in all sorts of functions. And um, I mean, there's there's a robust balance, I will have to say, which is makes me feel so good. Um, in 
I guess people that are already in the career now, I would definitely, I, I would like to see more change. Mm -hmm. I think that that's, I think those are some of the tougher nuts to crack, but I do see change. I think it just feels a little slow for me mm -hmm. from my perspective. Right. But, you know, I, I think, I think it's there. I think it's there. Definitely. It's notable. Mm -hmm. it just feels a little slow. So with all that in mind, how can we, as in all of us, the, the entire collective hop community from hop farms to hop suppliers help promote uh, more equitable and inclusive spaces for, for women, whether that means, in, like you were talking about, encouraging more women to join this industry or providing them with more opportunities for advancements into leadership roles. What is that? Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah, I think, you know, what I was mentioning before, like, or, you know, is there interest? There has to be authentic interest to do so. So I, I, I think... Definitely, you know, if you, if anyone's, when anyone experiences anything that feels monumentally difficult, you have a little, there's, there's a little scar tissue there. So you just kind of want to, you're just a little wiser from it. And so, um, it, it's been in the changes that I feel confident about saying that I had a, a good hand in doing, I think I become very aware at um organizations or companies people in the industry that um that say that they're um making way and, and wanting to make change i like to i sounds really bad i i come from like this intern this internal voice says i would like you to prove that to me yes <laughs> and I, and so I ask, and so that's, and you know what, some of the most delightful conversations have come of that with leaders, right? But because it's an honest question, everyone who um, has the goal of doing well in business uh, right now, um, in food uh, and beverage, um, will say things, you know, um, that are in vogue, and they're advantageous, and they have to do with like sustainability practices. And um, and, you know, diversity. And, and I think that, that those can be blanket statements. So I like to dig a little deeper and I'm, I'm always so happy when leaders of those companies are, um, they don't take that dig, big, big breath because I hope that they know that I'm coming from a, a safe space. <laughs> like, I would like to know what you're doing. Can you tell me? I am curious. But then also like in the back of my mind, like, oh God, here she comes. <laughs> if, if they know me. And, but also um, uh, not to be, you know, quip about it, but I, I like a good kinetic conversation and I just appreciate the leaders that are, are up for that um, and entertain and then engage in very curious um, uh, dialogue about that. So, so I think that you have to be interested. And then um, if you're, if it's a PR move, then, then, then don't bother. It's mm -hmm. people are going to see that a mile away. Um, I believe, I think, and that, and then second, you know, a progressive leadership, attracts progressive leaders. Mm -hmm. So get get a diverse leadership like yesterday, make it happen. Mm -hmm. um, when I hear things like, oh, you know, we'd like to, but there's just not the talent out there that fits this. And I'm like, mm. and I'd like you to try that again, please. 
the talents I, out I believe, there. I believe otherwise. Yeah. And then uh, uh, businesses in the collective hop community um, should be hiring women at the top from various other industries. And if I can be a poster child for that, I am not an expert in business. I am not an expert in agriculture. Um, I am not an expert in soil science, um, but I I feel like I have you know a decent track record to make good change from a completely other industry, and I can do it. But lots and lots of other people can that have much you know uh, a, a variety of degrees and extended degrees can can jump on in and and make some great change in headway, definitely. And then, um, you know, it's good, it's difficult for other for other women to gain a foothold elsewhere in the company if they don't have women in leadership helping make those recruitment and um, employment decisions. Um, you know, if the same hiring managers are hiring, you're gonna do the same kind of employees. And so, and another thing I thought of recently is, I remember that, you know, when environment, at the time where brewers were, it's been a number, obviously a number of years ago in brewers, it was a big focus. The sustainability was a big focus. And I remember as a farm being aware of the pressure it was putting in on our sustainable growing practices. And then I thought, okay, well, here's the strategic move that we could make as an industry. If we had key players, powerful players in the industry that created this challenge, to other key leaders um, that essentially was, hey, if these certain, this criteria wasn't part of your organization, like sustainable practices, but in this case, diversity, uh, a balanced gender diversity um, in your business, it, it may be hard to have the same type of business relationship that we've had before because this is one of our strongest ethos mm. and we want to make a difference in the company. Mm. And I, I just think that, you know, we did that for sustainability because it was the right thing to do. I remember being nervous about losing contracts because we weren't doing enough. And, and it wasn't that it wasn't important. It was just that it was just very hard to do. But um, once we were doing it, you know, it's like, why haven't we, why weren't we doing this before? Mm-hmm. And I think, why aren't we thinking the same way? About right, this? right. That's an excellent point to make. Like, why are we not applying the same principles um, in this, in this area? It's a great point. Yeah. So it makes me wonder, is it important? You know, is who, who, who is that important to? Right. So if you get the right leaders in all three segments of the industry, the brewing industry, the supplier industry and the grower industry, we can make we can make a seven month difference. Hey, whoever's listening out there, that's a challenge. I just I just threw the gauntlet there. Yeah. Just seven happened, months right the there. Clock is ready. We're starting it today. Well when now. this gets released, which is next week. Yes. Next week. <laughs> but yes. Uh, that I love that challenge. Let, let's let's carry in that energy of of Liz Coleman from her seventh seven month challenge into seven tomorrow. Sprint. Yeah. Woo! We've got this. Freeway high five. There we go. That's awesome. Uh, I I do, uh, you know, I want to ask, we hear this phrase all the time, making sure women have a seat at the table. And we talked about that a little bit. Uh, Making sure women have a seat at the table. What what does this mean to you to give women a seat at the table? 
Okay, I have to ask, I have to laugh a little bit about this because I'm like, seat at the table, we use that all the time. And then I'm, I'm a little bit classic, like I'll use it. And I'm like, do I really know what that means? And then uh, I, I looked it up because in my mind, I thought that's kind of a stale phrase. Like, hey, we need to make room because, uh, you know, there's not enough of them. And so it's like, do you, you know, here, here's your seat at the table. I'm like, People want to be invited and then have the opportunity to say yes or no, but it's to make sure that you're part of the conversation and the decisions, right? Mm -hmm. As, as anyone else's. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not only matters of like social justices in an organization, but also equity and to steer that business in the way that it's meant to be at its fully thriving mm -hmm. um, form. And so I think in order to get the right kind of dynamics, um, we have to have that diversity at every table, no matter what level you are in a company. And um, and I, uh, that's what it means to me. I mean, and if you're if you're not sure if you should be at the table, you know, just be bold and say, hey, this meeting's going on. Should I be there? Because this is what I do, and I think that's what the meeting's about. I think I should be there. Right. And then you're there. Right. Typically, that's how it's worked for me. We had um, we we talked about this similarly with uh, Tiffany and Tessa, are from our sensory team, and Tiffany gave some really great advice about um, if there is not a seat at the table, ask for another chair to be added to the table. You know, to make sure that you're in, and that can be you know that can be a, a big challenge. It, it goes back to uh, what we talked about, like getting in those uncomfortable conversations. And sometimes it's standing up for yourself and saying, I should be in on that meeting. I should be included in this conversation because my role is directly related to this. Like I, I should be in there. And that can be a challenging conversation to have, especially to, you know, superiors, managers or anything like that, but necessary conversations to make change within your own organization. So I really appreciate the, the takeaway on that one. Uh, what words of, of support or encouragement do you have to give to other women pursuing careers in agribusiness? Well, I mean, it's an industry that is chock full of opportunity and it, it needs a women's perspective. Um, it needs multiple women's perspective. And honestly, in 2016, I thought, oh, this will be, you know, a short project and then we'll get things cleaned up and then I'll go go back to what I know how to do. And there, you know, what I've realized is there's been such gratifying moments, lovely people, good people, so much rich richness in the work um, where it just feels profound. And and so I I don't want anything, you know, that that I've said, you know, to scare people away. I, I just, you know, I think the reality of it is it's a, it, it's, it's a business that is one of the last folks, you know, to the party for change. And, um, it doesn't mean it can't change or it will be harder than other groups. It's just, um, there's a, there's patience for a time to understand that but um but it's great work it's admirable work and um and then if you've got an interest and passion i would say just go for it no no matter if you're just starting out or you're looking for a career change 
And I think that, you know, I think a lot of women, uh, I think a lot of people think, well, you have to be born into farming or married into farming and you do not. And um, I'd say, I'd say build your network up uh, as you go, especially for a woman. I think for all of agribusiness, all of farming, there needs to be more networking. We just can't be, it's not healthy to be working in such a siloed atmosphere for all sorts of reasons. It doesn't make us creative. It doesn't inspire each other. It doesn't influence one each other. It's just not healthy. Um, but for women, a network is huge. And I think that, I think that, um, any of the networking came up on a previous podcast and it, it cannot be truer. Mentoring and networking are huge. And if, um, if you can build up one mentor and one mentee, do that this week, put it on a short list of things to do and strive for a bench of mentors or that are peer mentors too. Um, call them whatever you want, your girl gang, your, your champion team, your professional squad. Um, but these are the people to remind you um, why you're doing the work and then remind you who you are. They're the people that will introduce you to other people as you grow yourself, the, the people that will help you to develop yourself. Uh, they will be the people that will add data um, to all the important things as they forge their way through forward in their careers, important data like fair and reasonable compensation, um, uh, how to get that seat at the table if you're experiencing it. And then also, you know, more importantly, you know, how to jump into levels that your or experiences that you're just a little unsure of and when to, when to not be in bad business relationships when you, when it's just not growing you, um, it, it becomes a one way, one, you know, a one way street. It's not benefiting you in any way. So that mentorship and networking is probably the most essential takeaway. I would love to hand over or you know pass along rather to individuals um that anybody who does have a team and networking team a mentor group they are i'm sure are nodding if they're listening to this and anyone who doesn't it's just so easy it's so easy to do uh and it's just it's someone you have coffee with you know regularly and you talk about these things as they come up wonderful thanks liz um, just, I'm going to open the floor. Do you have any other key takeaways for our listeners? Yeah, I think the, I think the only other thing is, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of scanning it, you know, creating space for yourself and don't forget that evolutionary versus revolutionary change, you know, just, just, you know, don't, don't stay in a space longer than you need to and make revolutionary change and don't be afraid. Disruption is good. Disruption can be very good. Um, as long as it is, you know, we don't want to. We don't want to um, stretch out pain, so <laughs> disrupting, so they can be, be put back together again. And you know, don't, don't, oh yeah, don't, don't be afraid to bring attention to your own accomplishments. Don't be a hidden figure. You know, people, people, and, and especially in farming, I think that's a big takeaway for folks because um, it's a big learning for me. You and you're an organization that's used to championing each other along and has good, you know, strong dynamics of doing that. Um, you you get to easily be a little bit, you know, kind of shy and humble about that. That comes hand in hand. When people are overlooked, 
when they get tucked in the back. Um, I, it's kind of a surrogate, you know, move. You do all this really hard work and someone walks away with a, um, not so much just the glory, but the rewards of that. Um, do not be afraid to say, hey, you know that thing? I, I did that. I wish I didn't have to say that I did that or point that out, but that was my work. And I feel really good about it. I feel really proud. So no hidden figures, you know, and just don't be afraid. It has nothing to do with humility. It just means setting the record straight. Fantastic. Uh, Liz, thank you for, for joining me on the podcast today. You had so many excellent points that I think all of us are walking away um, with with great content to take into with us you know, into tomorrow for a better industry, for um, a brighter future for, for women, um, for the diversity of our industry. Um, when I think about evolutionary, revolutionary change, I'm going to log that in my head. Um, we have some challenges moving forward directly from this conversation. This week, we're talking about mentees and mentors, like how to build those. And we're talking about the seven month sprint as well. Let's get that work started. Game Let's on. do it. Yeah, I, I love all these points <laughs> that you make and your, your perspectives that you brought are so valuable. So really, thank you for bringing all these insights and in your experience to the podcast today. Um, I know you've been an inspiration to me on this project and the rest of the team that has spearheaded uh, the Bigger Than Beer project. So we really appreciate um, all, all your all the work that you do and all the inspiration that you bring to the to the team. Uh, thank you, listeners, for joining the movement to seek positive solutions, uh, highlight talented individuals within the hop and, and craft beer industry, and acknowledge the amazing contributions of women in these fields. Um, don't miss an episode and subscribe so you get notified when we do release an episode. And if you have any feedback for us, please leave us a review. We, we'd love to hear from you. Um, let's keep pushing forward, challenging ourselves, challenging each other to grow and improve. Uh, together, let's create something bigger than beer. <laughs>